Hello, I'm Steve, the retired criminal investigator with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, the Federal Law Enforcement Agency of the United States Air Force. I'm Hannah, the amateur true crime enthusiast. I've been fascinated with my dad's job, and I love starting conversations with him to learn more. Join us each week as we share these conversations with you and discuss a real criminal case that piques our interest. Hello, welcome back, archivists, to a new episode, a new week. Welcome back, everyone. Hello. So today we are talking about another, yet again, genetic genealogy case. I think we're just slowly becoming a genetic genealogy case, but it kind of fits in, right? Because they're all from the archives. Right, right. So. And that's, and that's, you know, even if we were to look these cases up, that's just where they're at. You yeah. know what I mean? Since 2018, it's just what's, go- what's going on. So, yeah. So today we've mentioned Cece Moore to you guys before. She's one of the uh, leading geneticists in genetic genealogy. Mm-hmm. She's one of the first to really take this on for A- law apply enforcement. Apply it to yes. criminal investigations, cold cases. Right. right. She. So the murder that we're the, the case that we're talking about today is the murder of Jay Cook and Tanya von Kylenborg. Jay was born December 16, 1966, and Tanya was born March 7, 1969. They were both from Saanich, British Columbia, and at the time of their murders, Jay was 21 and Tanya was only 18. Jay played the bass guitar while Tanya played tennis and basketball and was planning on working with animals one day. So a Canada case. Kind of. They're from Canada, but uh, the murders are going oh, to take place in right. Seattle, yeah, yeah. Washington. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I think there Jumping was a- ahead again. I think there was a a documentary about this. Okay. Yep. They had only been dating for about six months, and Jay's sister is quoted as saying that they looked up to each other. When they took this trip to Seattle, Washington, they were going for dad's, dad's, Jay's dad's heating business. He wanted Jay to go pick up uh, some furnace parts for him, and I guess Jay had asked him if he could bring a friend along because he was going to be taking his dad's van. Tanya had just graduated from high school uh, in June of that year of 1987, and they were driving Jay's dad's 1977 Ford Club van. Now, to get from where they were in Canada to Seattle, they did have to take a couple of ferries, like two ferries. So with the the vehicle, which I always forget that ferries can do that. Yeah, you drive them right on and, and get to the side. Yep. They were last seen boarding the ferry in Bremen, Bremerton, which is in Washington, but they never made it to the part to pick up the part. Pick up the part right? So we know that they boarded that second ferry because there's going to be a receipt that is found for oil and for that ferry mm-hmm. in the van later. So we know that they made it onto that ferry, but they never made it to pick up the part. Mm-hmm. Now they left for this trip on November 18th of 1987 and when they did not return home the next day like they were supposed to the couple's family reported them missing on the 20th they hadn't heard from them in all of this time also so they were supposed to come home on the 19th and they didn't and they hadn't heard from them Mm -hmm. so on the 20th they report them missing it didn't say where who they reported them missing to i'm assuming they would report them missing to like us to america right Mm -hmm. to like the law enforcement in washington not canada is that, yeah, would well, that be your assumption? Well, the people that are, you know, the family members that are going to report them missing are in Canada. Right. So, so that's they're going like, to go to Canada, and then Canada is going to probably talk to the um, Royal Mounted Canadian Police, who who probably has 
relationship with the border patrol and the, our our police departments have direct contact. They're they're yeah. they're especially the, those border towns and stuff. I've always so, wondered that though, like because no one yeah. ever talks about that when they talk yeah, about no, reporting Canada, missing from other countries. Canada is like um, I, I, we we were close to Canada when I grew up, so we, it's it was. It, you didn't look at it like a, a foreign country. It, it's, yeah. it was easy to get back and forth. It, there's definitely communications there for sure. Especially from, I guess, Washington is pretty close. Yeah. Just with a couple ferries. Yeah. So what what part of Canada again? British Columbia, right? Yeah. Well, uh, um, they're from, where is it? I have to look at it. Saanich, British Columbia. Okay. So that's right across the water and the yeah. border. And the border. And then you come into... Washington. So the biggest, the biggest, you know, city is Seattle, but that's still a little, little ways right. ahead. Which is so, where they were going. Yeah. So, you know, between Seattle, you got Vancouver up there too. It was definitely an overnight trip. Yeah. So th- this is this is not this is a this is not like a rural area where they don't have police. This is communication back and forth. So, anyways, we're, okay. we're belittling that. That um, I was just a question yeah, I had because no, no, one no one ever talks about that. Whenever we hear like cases of people being reported missing from other countries, no one ever talks about that. And I always wonder. I'm like, do they have to contact their police first, or do they just contact ours? No, How does that they work? make it. So you, regular cops just make it happen. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah, they just make it happen. Cops. Okay. Well, either way, they report them missing on the 20th of November. Uh-huh. Now, four days later, on November 24th, Tanya's body would be found by a rural road near Alger in Skagit County, Washington. And then on the 26th, Jay Cook's body was found about 50 miles away from Tanya's body. So we're in Snohomish County. Um, She was found near Alger. It's a rural road in Skagit County. And then he was found about 50 miles away he was actually found near, I have it down here farther. He was found near the Monroe Honor Farm, which is a prison. Okay, so we're we're into Seattle suburbs there. Yeah. Oh, wait, Snohomish County. Um, it's the Snohomish County uh, police that are taking over this case. Like, it's mostly yeah, we've, Snohomish we've, County. We've had, um, we've had cases. Yeah, I don't know what was going on in the 70s and 80s, but Colorado and Snohomish County, the, these two. Is where a lot of these cases are coming from. Yeah, it's a pretty big Everett. Yeah, so they're on Interstate Five. Oh, so they came across straight across. Okay, I know where they're they're at. So yeah, this is just north of of Seattle. So okay. And right, all cool. of our locations that we're going to be talking about is going to be in like a direct line too. Yeah, it's off of Interstate where... Five, which goes right into Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. That actually goes up to Canada, goes up to Vancouver. So from Victoria, they came across from the west, but Vancouver's north. So Route 5, Interstate 5 goes north, south, Seattle, all the way up to Vancouver. Okay. Yeah, so they... And then that goes down to, you know, Tacoma and all the way down to Portland, Oregon. And that... Actually, I think that's the Pacific Coast. Uh, is that no? That's not the Pacific. Coast. We know they arrived at Port Angeles, Washington, at about four p.m. from the v- a ferry from Victoria too. So if you were All looking right, yeah. in the area, that's one of the. And then Burrimington was the other. So ferry. it's a big interstate, like I ninety five in the East Coast. So there's a lot of transient people. A lot of people travel on truckers, things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we're going to talk about the crime scene and evidence. It's kind of all 
We've got multiple locations. So yeah, my crime scene and yeah. evidence section is kind of merged together here. Okay. So Tanya, and this is where you can look up. I have gave you some crime scene pictures too. Yep. So Tanya was found in a ditch half naked. She had been raped and bound with plastic ties as well. Plastic ties or zip ties. Uh, I got the documentary that's that I watched probably said zip the ties. Same zip ties. Yeah. That's the same thing. Zip, that's probably what they mean, zip ties. She had also been shot in the head. Now, she is the first one that is found, remember, on the 24th. And she's found, they don't have the van, they don't have Jay. Bottom so ditch. Jay right. is immediately thought to be a suspect by police because he's nowhere to be found. Of course. Yep. And the van is also nowhere to be found. It's just her. So the very next day on the 25th, Tanya's wallet and keys, as well as some disposable gloves, the same zip ties, and Tanya's ID, and ammunition matching the bullet that killed Tanya are found near the Greyhound Station in Bellingham, underneath a porch of a local tavern. And I think you have a picture of that. Oh, this is a por- uh, this is a porch? Yeah, that's underneath a porch the of a tavern. Okay, yeah. yep. The couple's van was found a few blocks away with also plastic ties that match the ones found on Tanya and plastic gloves and multiple receipts inside the car. And this is where we know that they got on the ferry the, and that they got the, gas they in got Port gas. Angeles. Yep. Well, it, and... Here's here's the the van in the United States, so that's mm-hmm. that's good evidence. It's also they probably would have deduced that hey, it it, it came down from either Vancouver or across on the ferry. So, but right. that's that's perfect proof. The okay, receipts, it's yeah. a classic Ford van too. This thing's cool looking. <laughs> the nineteen, what did I say? It was a nineteen seventy seven. Yeah. Something. Yeah, it thinks cool. Ford Club van. Yeah. Okay. Now twenty six. Uh. Tanya's black pants are also found in the van, and mm-hmm. these are the ones that she should have been wearing. Remember I mentioned that she was half yeah. naked when she was found? They are able to get DNA. There was semen left on the pants, and it was not a match to Jay. They also perform a rape kit, so they have DNA yeah. from her body as well as the pants. Okay, so they're fine. This is good. So they, they can track the van from its origin all the way mm-hmm. to where they find it, and they can also place the suspect at this tavern in the van and at Tanya. Oh, in in the correct in the van mm-hmm. and at the tavern because there's ta- zip, the ties. zip ties. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I also a little reminder because when I was watching the documentary, they made a point to mention that at this point in 1987, when it came to DNA, they were focusing on blood typing. They weren't like the advancements hadn't really made it plus like right. this what is, type yeah, of yeah we we talked about that yeah, yeah just uh, what type man this is Thanksgiving weekend yep yeah so uh, when they get that profile match that is not J they end up calling this suspect individual A so that's you're gonna hear me refer to mm-hmm. this DNA profile as suspect individual A. A yep. Also, Tanya's Minolta X seven hundred thirty five millimeter camera is missing. She was she brought that on the trip with her one hundred percent. It's missing and has never been found. All right, did they know so that right away? Though thing. they know, they probably didn't know that right away. I don't know if they knew that right. Didn't it doesn't say if they knew that right away. I'm okay. assuming her par- her parents oh, probably yeah, probably, probably were yeah. like, "This is okay. what she had with her. This is what she All brought." Right, yeah, and we know that it's missing and it's never been found. Yeah, even to this okay, day. that's cool. So then I mentioned on the 26th, so then the next day again, Jay's body was found under High Bridge in Snohomish County, which is near that Monroe Honor Farm, which is a prison that I mentioned earlier. 
Yeah, it says you can see the public it says public boat launching or public boat access. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, this is this bridge over the river, and you can go down here and park. Yeah, it's it's and it's out of the way. Okay. Yep. There wasn't like a whole lot of. It doesn't look like a lot of people go around. This there. is seventy miles south of where Tanya's body was found. So that says seventy miles, but in the documentary, the actual detective who has the case said that it was fifty miles. So that's All why. Right. I, that's why I quoted fifty miles in my original statement. So, so okay. So here's and the then thing. there's another article that said sixty miles, but I'm going off okay, of what the detective but said. But fifty miles. So fifty miles yeah. a long way, right? Yeah. So so, it, his girlfriend gets raped and killed. Right, mm-hmm. and then the van was in the same same location. I can't remember that. It was um, a couple blocks away from where couple, her body yeah, was. Yeah, body's on, and then he is fifty miles away. And there's so, some questions have to be answered about this. Like, why did they have him bound and gagged? Why they killed and raped her, and then took him along, and then or like, or was he involved? You know, there's a lot going on there so he's actually first on the map that they showed in the Uh. little documentary so their theory is so they found him second but their theory is is that he was killed first Ah. and then she was kept alive oh okay yeah in the map that they show i wasn't able to like find the map on google but um i'll show it to you in the little documentary Mm -hmm. it has him he's up here north and then the van oh so he was found Second, he but, just was found second. But his but body he, was his, north, yeah. so in the timeline, in the direction they were going, it was okay. him and then her. So they they probably uh, you know overpowered him. Okay, okay. They, so let's go back to the body then. How'd they find him? So he had been strangled with uh, twine and two dog collars, and then a pack of camel cigarettes had been stuffed down his throat. Zip ties were also found near him, and he had also been beaten with with rocks. Yeah. Uh, so pretty, I mean, pretty brutal. Uh, there's got to be a couple of people involved in this. Oh, you think so? Uh, uh, unless they were fall, they were watching these two, and one, and they were separated for for a few minutes, where they could subdue him first, and then go after her. Because to be able to go after them both at the same time and zip tie their hands, that you know, that's these these. Look, if you look at these two, they're pretty healthy young individuals. Yeah. They could have put up a fight for sure. So, okay. None of the none of the detectives mentioned that in the investigation or in the documentary either. So that's interesting. Okay. I didn't even think about that either. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering. So I got to hear more. They they know what happened. I I don't. That's how we do this podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. So a month after their murders, we're into December now. Mm-hmm. Jay and Tanya's family began receiving anonymous threatening letters, which you have a picture of there too. Mm-hmm. The writer was eventually eliminated as a suspect, however. There's no more information on that. But the letter was kind of, I don't know, it was kind of scary. It was pretty threatening, rereading it. As someone who instinctively hates all Canadians, Mm -hmm. I couldn't pass up the opportunity to kill Jay and Tanya. Furthermore, I'll do it again if another opportunity presents itself. And you ain't. Never going to catch me. And thanks for the money. I laughed as I wolfed down, wolfed the, down steak. the steak, etc. I've eaten and enjoyed since the fateful evening and morning of November 18th and 19th. Sorry, it was 
one of yours, but I've waited to venge myself for any... I can't read the rest of it. Yeah, the bottom of it I couldn't read. Okay. Well. Uh, but it looks like there's more letters behind it, too. Wow. So this is not a suspect? Yeah, they said that they were eventually eliminated as a suspect, so it was probably just someone playing like a really awful hoax or something. Did they find the person that sent the letter? Or? Okay. They don't go into further detail about that. Okay. I'm, uh, <laughs> so, like right. I said... In these situations, in these podcasts, the episodes we do, when people are eliminated, that's... That's all they, we have. That yeah. information doesn't get released too too much. Okay. Yeah. So, like I said, police believe that Jay was murdered first. Now, uh, in 1995, Detective Jim Sharp is going to be the detective that takes over this case. Um, but I wanted to. I haven't gotten to him yet. But I wanted to just say something that he had mentioned. He says that because of the gloves and zip ties. They believe that the suspect was prepared and that it was premeditated and that he was even taunting police by leaving these things behind. Yeah, okay. So that's so this suspect probably has done it before, but he definitely was watching them and then and planning this out and probably watched them separate. You know, maybe one went in to pay for gas or one went yeah. into the convenience store or whatever and and um or at that, them getting on at the that ferry tavern, is the last See, at that tavern, do they have any witnesses at that tavern? That no, saw them? the last time they were both seen was getting onto that second ferry. Yeah, so it, they were separated, and and he killed the male first, for sure. Yep. Okay. So they also talk about, during this investigation, how they're from Canada, and so this murder is obviously a stranger. There's no witnesses. There's nothing to go off of. I think I've talked to you about that before, like someone who's coming into our country you're already at a disadvantage, right, as law enforcement because they have no connections to this country, Yeah, really. well, the evidence will still be evidence. He right. still left evidence behind. But you don't have, like, it. witnesses. You don't have all these other... You can't go down, well, like, you a can't, list of their... Right, you can't... Like, canvassing... It, 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 like, let's say, let's say that tavern, for instance. Oh, this strange white male, he looked like this was in here, but we don't know who he is. We've never seen him before. You know, that's about all you're going to get. Right. So that's where they're at for the investigation in 1987. So it's obviously going to go cold, which is Mm -hmm. why we're here. So then in 1995, I mentioned Detective Jim Scharf. He forms a cold case team. And Tanya and Jay's murders are among the first to be looked at again. Now, in the documentary, he actually says that they don't actually look back into Tanya and Jay until 2005, though. So they're still like they talk about still like looking at it. But 2005 Mm -hmm. is really when they like reopen it. He goes on to say that over 200 names would go across his desk. He's like, they're just still getting tips all the time. And a lot of them are convicted felons since Jay's body was found near that prison. So Uh the theory is that it could have been someone from that prison. But these are all going to be dead ends. Now, between 2003 and 2004... Washington State Patrol uh, is going to run Individual A's profile through CODIS. Remember, that is the DNA profile. Yeah, at this point, 2003, that's good. They run it through CODIS. Uh, They're going to continue to run this DNA. They talk about in the documentary that they were pretty... C.C. Moore mentions that law enforcement in this case were pretty diligent with technology advancing, and they were running this DNA constantly. They were constantly checking for things. So we're going to fast forward to 2015 now. Mm-hmm. So between 2005 and 2015, they're still running the DNA periodically. They're still checking in. 2015, a woman by the name of Chelsea Rustad is going to upload her DNA to GEDmatch. Okay. Leave ah, that there. GEDmatch. Yep. Put a pin in that. 
and we we talked we have talked about GEDmatch many 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 times so yeah it's the database that pretty much all of law enforcement it's all yeah, they're all it, using it, right now geneticists well it 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 consolidates all DNA profiles that people get from maybe like DNA or like um like the kits but you yeah. have to upload it yourself right, right, to GEDmatch right. so, it's right. a public so you you probably went to 23andMe, you probably went through Ancestry, you probably went to Family Tree and Me, you probably went to those and paid or did what, and, and got your profile. Mm-hmm. And then you go and update, up, upload it upload to GebMatch. So GebMatch is a consolidation of all that. Yes, because as a reminder, Ancestry, 23andMe, they don't work with law enforcement. They mm-hmm. are a closed database. Law enforcement cannot use them. GebMatch is public and GebMatch lets you know that hey if you upload your dna to us we are allowing law enforcement to use our database so well it's public yeah right all right so she does that in 2015 and then again as we talk about usually uh april 25th 2018 joseph james d'angelo is arrested for being the golden state killer and this really inspired a lot of law enforcement across the country as yeah what's it about 70 cases so far since then i think we're today alone i've seen like five more i haven't heard about so So i don't we're gonna push almost 100 cases since 18 yeah it's insane like in five years so yeah uh so literally i think like the next day he said detective sharf within the next two days he sees this news and he goes, oh, my God, this is a new technology. I, let's try this. I wonder if this will work. We're going to do this. So he wants to use this technology to see if he can finally solve these murders. So then he reaches out to Parabon Nano Labs and they decide to upload individual A's DNA profile into GEDmatch. And CC Moore is who is brought in to work this. And this uh-huh. is going to be her first case that she decides to take with law enforcement. Now, in the show, the documentary that I keep referencing, it's called The Genetic Detective. It literally is on season two right now, and I don't even think season two has aired yet or like it just started airing because they season one just aired last year. So this is the very first episode, too. So this is season one, episode one. And she talks about how she got into gene- uh, g- genetic genealogy and how it was a hobby and how at first she was pretty apprehensive about working with law enforcement or for law enforcement because... Again, it was that like privacy thing, right, that we talk about. So she was worried about what's the word? Privacy. Impeding on people's privacy. Pri- privacy, right? right. Impeding on people's privacy. So, and then Joseph D'Angelo is arrested, and that inspires her too. So she yeah, says so she'll take precedent. this case. Yeah. Yes. So she takes this case, and she she talks about like I didn't know this. She's mostly doing this from home. Like she works from home on her computer. She's life is going around her and she's doing these family trees at home, which is pretty cool. Explain again. What's the difference between the familial and the, the gene the genealogy, like genetic genealogy, like the six cousins. Oh, what's the one that just does the father and son. So that's the familial. Yeah. Just familial DNA is something that law enforcement have the power to do themselves based off my understanding of what our conversation was so they have a database that they run it through their system and they have the power to do that there's mm-hmm. no privacy confusion there's no it, they have it on their own end okay but a lot of them don't do it yeah so the genealogy can go back like 
six times cousins or something. Yeah, it goes back all the way to you build up yeah. your family tree. Okay. Yeah. So, so she talks about originally she was using it to help people find family members, family members like adoptees right. and stuff. So this is what where ancestry got its start is like helping people find their families. Right. And then we got into the so, genetic genealogy and she, they were like, maybe we can do this with law enforcement. So just to keep in perspective, there could be some building of some big trees here yes. to track it back. So Yes. All right. In this case, it sounds like this happened pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. Normally, we talk about how it takes like a year for this to happen. If this is correct, everything that I've seen does say that it takes just a few days for her. Now, in the documentary, I think it says like a week. But the article that I have says like literally day after day after day. But C.C. Moore is able to find two people who would be the second cousins of individual A. And from there, she builds a family tree and comes up with the name of William Earl Talbot II, who happened to live seven miles from where Jay's body was found. Right. So they're, they're, they do their quick look on him and they start to say, wow, he lived in the area seven miles from where the body was found. And did he live in the area at the time? Probably they, they found out, yes. Yes. I wasn't able to find if there was any other. It doesn't seem like he has any other priors or anything like that, or he was arrested for anything else. Again, pretty quickly, within the next month in May of 2018, investigators are following him for a few days to see if he they want him to drop, you know, like something, a cigarette. He ends up dropping a styrofoam cup. No, it's the one little, little not the styrofoam, but the other wax one, the paper cup. Oh, and the thing it said styrofoam. Oh, well, I'm looking at the piece of evidence. So oh. it, it's from he's a trucker, right? It's from like the it's yeah. from like a little truck station or something. Oh my god! Either way, a little and cup. They, he dropped it and they moved in and grabbed it. So they send it to so the lab. They send it to the Washington State Patrol lab, and then within the next couple of days, Lisa Collins is the forensic scientist. Now she's the forensic scientist who has been working on this case over the years. She has been testing this DNA. She's been running individual A's DNA through CODIS and whatever over the years. She's been constantly working on this because she's interviewed in the documentary too, and she says that the DNA uh, from Talbot is a match to individual A's DNA, which again Bam. puts them. With t- puts him with Tanya's body and in the van, mm-hmm. right? Right. So on May 17th of 2018, William Earl Talbot is arrested. June 11th, 2019 is when his trial begins. He, now he was arrested for aggravated murder, two counts of aggravated murder. He is going to plead not guilty. He doesn't look that old in 2019. Yeah. Well, he was probably the same age as them because they were like my age. Yeah. Okay. She was, I think she was like, he was your age and she yeah. was like three years three older years than you or something. Yeah. yeah. So his defense attorney explains away his DNA by saying that William and Tanya had consensual sex. And without that, there's insufficient evidence to prove, prove him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. The prosecution points to the DNA from Tanya's body and her pants the close proximity to where Talbot lived and where Jay's body was found and the zip ties being at all four of these locations. After two weeks, William Talbot is found guilty of two counts of aggravated murder. Okay, hold on. Let me back up. So they're saying that the DNA just proves that the subject, the suspect and her had had consensual sex. His defense is that they had consensual sex. However, the picture of her pants, I don't know. There was... How do you explain it on the pants? Why is yeah? Did he explain away where where the boyfriend was? 
They didn't. All right. That I saw. And so, what did the prosecutor argue then? Say that again. Now, how you put the zip ties and everything? Yeah. So the prosecution argues that because there was DNA on her body in her pants, and they were in two separate locations, plus where he lived in close proximity to where Jay's body was found, mm-hmm. and there were zip ties found at all four of these locations. Um, and that they all matched each other. So that is what they point to mm-hmm. to say that he is the murderer. Dumbass. Yeah. Um, so he's found guilty of two counts of aggravated murder. He is appealing the verdict, of course. July 24th, 2019, he receives two life sentences. Now, the interesting part is that Chelsea Rustad, who is that cousin that I mentioned, she yeah. uploaded her DNA in 2015. And it's really thanks to her that they were able to put this tree together. She was at the trial and the sentencing. And she was there supporting Tanya and Jay's family. She was his only family member to attend the trial and the sentencing. She was the only one to be there. Oh, but but she was, was supporting the, him. But, but she, she was there for the yeah. victims. Yeah. She was there for the victims. She actually wrote a book called Inherited Secrets about her connection to these murders. Wow. Oh, here's a picture of them. Yeah, there's a picture of that's Tanya and Jay's brother and sister, I believe. Is that what it says? Where is the picture? Pictured like? with a member of Jay. It's a member of both of their families. I'll tell you, that's a that's a relative for life, and she's not even blood related to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is, I think, one of the first ones. I think, uh, I think James D'Angelo is pleading not guilty, but all the other ones we've talked about, for the most part, they've pled guilty or they're just like accepting it. So it's rare that we've seen. Yeah, I want to. Not guilty. I, I want to check like some of these that are that are will will go to uh, appeal and stuff. They they must be appealing like the DNA. So I can't. Uh, that's gonna be interested to to hear how that all starts trickling in. That always because, seems to be the defense. Yeah. Because this is this is happening so fast and they're solving they're solving cases. I'm surprised. I mean, we saw that some states. Have done some things to say, okay, mm-hmm. this is all right, all right. Let's just slow down for a second. Let's just make sure we're we're good and we're not invading anybody's privacy, mm-hmm. you know. And if you go, mostly that was about whether or not you collect the third party's DNA, right? Like right. she, hers was already in the system, right? So she was already given consent, right? She decided to put her name out there, but under a lot of these laws now, law enforcement would have to protect her her information and they would have to destroy her DNA afterwards if right. they if they went if they went and collected it. But in this case it was already in Jedmatch. This is the essence of what CC Moore does and what what the Genesis do in and how they encourage people this is why people hate Jedmatch, you know, how the civil rights right? Or ACLU and them Is it? Uh, or they don't like Jedmatch, but because what if what if you're wrong, which these things haven't been wrong yet. So all right. Yeah, and the thing, like, what gets me is that Jed Match is, they, like, we've talked about their website. I've been, mm-hmm. I've, we've gone to their website. I've shown you guys. Yeah. They are very transparent on their website yeah. with, like, hey, we work with law enforcement. We allow law enforcement to use our database. We allow this. So if you are uploading to us, you're recognizing and yeah. you're acknowledging, you're saying, yes, I agree to allow law enforcement access to this. All right. And it's not Good. like I don't think they have access to the they don't have access to the actual DNA. They only have access to see like the, the profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah to yeah. connect you to a family yeah. tree. So yeah. it's not like they have your DNA. Right. That's so. a good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. So all right, cool. Interesting. Yeah. So that was that was today's episode. Thank you guys for sticking around and listening. 
you can follow us on Instagram at True Crime Archives Podcast. I'll put all of the uh, most of the pictures, whatever I can for this case, so you guys can see. And then I'll try and find that map to post for you as well. Uh, again, we're also on Twitter at TC Archives Pod, so I'll put all that stuff there. And if you wanted to, uh, if you're enjoying listening to us, I really enjoy that Genetic Detective. It's on ABC. Mm-hmm. If not been able to stream it anywhere, you have to go to the actual ABC, or if you have cable, watch it. But that's it's all about Cece Moore. So she is talking through the entire thing. It's about her and all of mm-hmm. these cases. So I would encourage you to watch that too. You can also give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you are enjoying about listening to us. And that just gets us pushed out a little bit more to be heard by more people so we can get these stories out there. And I think that's it for now. We'll talk to you guys soon. Later. Bye.